after we heard the thunder roll from the organ with appreciation for the organist, we will now turn to the Word of God, which speaks to us in Psalm 29. A Psalm of David, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. That's our text, Psalm 29. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in this worship service, brothers and sisters, the focus is on our prayer for harvest and labor, on matters of growth and prosperity, employment, health, and strength. We have a service like this every year. Should we keep this up, or has this practice become obsolete? Do we ask for prosperity and employment, or do we work for it ourselves? You know, in our day and age, prayer for such mundane, practical purposes may become somewhat foolish. Is it unrealistic to pray? Because as the expression goes, the Lord helps those who help themselves anyway. So what is more realistic, to pray or to work? Is our concern about harvest and labor a matter of believing in God or not? For as you might know, modern thought considers the Bible more a source for a spiritual religion, a book about God acting in history, delivering people from Egypt, giving them a law for ethical purposes. Religion is then considered a matter of the heart only, a matter of social relationships, of piety in the way of life. In the same modern thought, it's heathen or pagan, if you will, to have a religion of nature, a religion of natural forces, a primitive way of understanding what goes around us. 
Thus it is, continue, it is considered primitive to make growth and harvest and natural forces a spiritual matter. Only pagans concern themselves with rain and drought. Brothers and sisters, even though it may be true that heathen and pagans see their gods in the rain, in the sun, in nature itself, does the Bible do the same? Or does the Bible give us a different insight about nature, about natural forces, as also being part of the creation of God who governs all nations and all of nature? Are those so-called modern thinkers really that modern when they consider matters of nature, of growth and prosperity primitive concerns, calling those foolish who pray to God about them? For what we see today is that those who refuse to depend on God Almighty for growth and prosperity, for harvest and labor, they still put their trust in gods the same way the heathen did. They put their trust in the gods of the economic processes, the god of the financial controls of the IMF, of the new NAFTA, the security of wage and price control, the god of market forces, the god of science and technology. Therefore, beloved, as there was for the church in the Old Testament the antithesis with the false religion of the Canaanites, so there is the antithesis for the church today. That's also the antithesis underlying Psalm 29, as we will see. From that word of God and the revelation about God, we have to learn to pray. Pray also for harvest and labor. So I proclaim to you the word of God in our text, summarizing it as follows. The song of the seven thunders for the glory of God. In heaven, our first point. In the earth, our second point. Among his people, our third point. So I summarize the message of our text as follows. The song of the seven thunders for the glory of God. In heaven, in the earth, and among his people. So first of all, we see the glory of God in heaven. Psalm 29, our text, brothers and sisters, is an intriguing psalm, especially after discoveries made in Ugarit, a town in the north of Syria, formerly Phoenicia, interest for this psalm increased. In Ugarit, excavation started in approximately 1930, and clay tablets were found, little statues, household idols belonging to the Canaanite religion. After these excavations resumed following the Second World War, discovery was made of a tablet with a hymn for Baal Hadad, the Canaanite god of rain and thunder. This hymn showed many similarities with Psalm 29. Of course, the main difference was in the fact that Psalm 29 sings the glory of Yahweh, the God of glory, 
whose name appears in it 18 times. You may wonder, perhaps, beloved, is that possible? Are these similarities real or imagined? Well, it is possible, indeed, to find expressions, sayings, proverbs, even laws in God's Word strikingly similar to heathen writings. The Code of Hammurabi and the Law of Moses or the wisdom of Solomon and Egyptian proverbs can be used to prove the point. The Spirit of God used expressions, general wisdom, and existing statutes and included them in the divine revelation. The same is the case here in Psalm 29. Does that mean then that the psalmist adapted a Canaanite hymn for the worship of Yahweh? No. He did not adapt it. He corrected it. In this hymn for Baal Hadad, heathen views of nature were exposed, and Israel has been under the influence of this Baal thinking very much. Now, in Psalm 29, we find the truth restored. In that way, Psalm 29 becomes a hymn of praise to Yahweh in antithesis, in opposition, in contrast, that is, to the Canaanite religion. Not Baal Hadad is God, but Yahweh is. He is the God of all creation. He is the God of glory. He should receive all glory. That's then also how the psalm begins. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Four times the name Yahweh is used to stress how the Lord is central in this hymn of praise. Who then have to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord? The mighty ones, we see in verse 1. Literally, they are called the sons of gods. Sometimes that expression is used for judges and rulers, as for example in Psalm 82. Yet here we see them as the heavenly beings who worship in the heavenly sanctuary. Verse 2b. They are the angels around the throne of God, of whom we hear in Isaiah 6, the cherubim and the seraphim, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Also in Job 1, verse 6, or Psalm 89, verse 7, we hear of them as the holy ones who are gathered together in council around the throne of God. Also in the book of the New Testament, we meet them as the ones praising God. Glory to God in the highest. Well, here too they are commanded to, as the ones to praise God. That is your calling. Ascribe to Yahweh what He is, what He has, glory and strength. So worship the Lord is expected. 
That was the purpose of creation in the first place, and that purpose is retained. Give glory to God's name. Proclaim his glory and might. Worship him in the splendor of his holiness. That's how the angels are presented in the scriptures. In various places, special mention is made of their bright apparel. It makes a festive impression. It also reflects God's glory. So, worship, praise, glory, honor, brothers and sisters, is underlying this psalm of praise. The psalmist, as mouthpiece of the people of the Lord, calls upon the angels to sing, to praise. That's how we must use the psalm still today, as God's covenant people, who for a while are lower than the angels due to sin. Psalm 8 and Hebrews 1. Restored in Christ, we, the sons of God in the divine family, command the angels, sing, glorify. God's people call upon heaven, praise, for honor is due. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. That's how we know the song of the angels to be. We especially, who have the whole Bible, who have the prophecies of Isaiah, Ezekiel, who know the song in the fields of Ephrathah and the song of the angels in Revelation 5. We know again the purpose of God's creation of all creatures. We want the angels to praise, we worship, and we want the angels to worship. We want the angels to ascribe glory and strength to God because they dwell in the presence of God and they have to join us here in the presence of God. For we have come together, be that virtually, to praise, to worship, to confess the Lord and to serve Him. That's the proper approach to our prayer for harvest and labor too, beloved. It's the stepping stone for that prayer. We know what we are created for, to praise and glorify God. We know that all creation praises God, as we sang so wonderfully with the words of Psalm 148. We know that the angels praise God, and by faith we confess too, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heavenly beings, you praise, you worship, and we, we want to do the same. We want to join in with them in that worship. We begin this worship with prayer. We confess in worship the desire that heaven and earth unite in worship service. And what we desire for harvest and labor, for health and strength, for employment and prosperity, we desire for the glory of his name, 
for the coming of his kingdom and for the doing of his will. That first. Then secondly, we see this glory in the earth. The psalm goes on to praise the glory of God in a very special way, beloved. The psalmist sees his glory in nature, in the powers of nature. He sees God's glory manifested in a thunderstorm, for instance. What a display of power and might. How violent and forceful the thunder and lightning can be. In the psalm, this is expressed very significantly in the seven times the voice of the Lord is mentioned. The Ko Yahweh. Note, seven times the number of God's holiness. Ko Yahweh. Ko Yahweh. Imitating the sound of the thunder. In it, the psalmist hears the voice of the Lord. Then it is striking that in it, he does not think of the thunder as the voice of the angry God, to which Western Christians seem inclined too easily, making young and old afraid of this thundering God. But he hears the voice of the majestic, exalted God, causing the psalmist to exult in him, to praise him. Likewise, in Egypt, or at Mount Horeb, or in the battle against the Philistines, the Lord used the thunder of his voice to impress the people with his glory. Now, from the description in the psalm, beloved, it is clear that a thunderstorm was quite common to the psalmist. He often must have seen the storm come up in the west over the Mediterranean Sea. Water-heavy clouds move in and increasingly darken the sky until suddenly, with cracking thunder, the storm breaks out. Verse 3 and 4. Especially the thunder receives all the attention rather than the lightning. It is because the voice of the Lord in it that this is so. His voice is full of power, full of majesty. The poet expresses the nature of the storm in the short and forceful sentences in such a way that the reading in Hebrew in their dull monotone imitate how they rumble along like the voice of thunder following the thunderclap of the call Yahweh. In the verses 3 through 9, we see a description of the course of the storm. It comes in from the west, moves to the north, to Lebanon, where it violently uproots or cuts down the most humongous trees. In Isaiah 2 verse 13, they are used as symbols of pride and majesty. These trees, which have a stem of two meters in diameter, six meters in circumference, 35 meters high, with a crown of branches and leaves of 80 meters in circumference. The voice of the Lord is heard as with power and violence they break off like matchsticks. 
The voice of the Lord also makes the mountain shake. Three times the word for trembling is used to describe how the mountains of Lebanon and the Hermon, which was called Sirion in Syria, seemed to jump up like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord and the lightning together show how near, how impressive the Lord's presence is. Thus we see the storm moving on and on, from west to north to south, even affecting the tranquility of the wilderness of Kadesh. Flora and fauna, forest and beasts, they are all upset because of the voice of the Lord. Branches and tree trunks are flying around. Bark and leaves whirl about with the voice of the Lord is heard. Very vividly, beloved, the psalmist depicts the scene. The whole earth is full of awe when the voice of the Lord thunders. Yet, in the center of this majestic panorama, the holy city and the temple remain safe and at peace. For Yahweh reigns as king. He ascends his throne in the sanctuary, and he gives to his people strength and peace in the midst of it all. Hence they cry, glory, glory to God in the highest. Glory to the God of glory. Glory to him who dwells on high. Glory to him also who has established his throne on the waters. Glory to him who was seated over the seas, the oceans, also over the flood of Genesis 6. Overwhelming are the mountains and forests, the seas and the wilderness, but all praise and honor should go to him who dwells above it, who is king over it forever. In those days, especially, people were impressed, beloved, and overwhelmed by it, and they would acknowledge the greatness of it. However, how did they express it? How did the Canaanites express it? Well, the song on the tablet found in Ugarit clearly displays that. In that song, Baal Hadad was addressed, whom they knew as the God in the thunder, the God in the rain. For the Canaanites, the coming of the thunderstorm meant that Baal Hadad had awakened of his winter sleep, the sleep of death. When at the beginning of the rain season, at the beginning of the growing season, the thunderclouds gathered over them and the rain would come down on the earth, they knew that Baal had come to life, that Baal and Astarte had their intimate intercourse, which meant life for the earth. The time of seeding and growth had arrived then here we see the antithesis, the contrast, the opposition. For now the people of the Lord don't see God in the thunder. They don't receive life in the rain. 
No, they worship and praise. They fold their hands and pray because they hear in it the voice of God who is above those powers. They see the Lord who gives life. They are not the people of a cycle religion with a dying Baal, but the people of Yahweh, the living God. They confess that God is king on his throne, who does not die, but lives forever and ever. That's how the church has confessed him through the centuries, turning away from myths about Donar and other gods in nature. The church confesses in song and prayer the God who speaks to us in the thunder, who is the God who speaks to us in his word. And upon the voice of the Lord in nature and the word of God from his throne above nature, the church folds the hands to acknowledge him in his glory and majesty. We too, beloved, in this special service, we do not seek the gods of rain or sunshine. We do not acknowledge the gods of economy or social security. We do not subject to the gods of scientific research or efficient marketing, but we lift up our hearts on high where God, the Lord of the covenant, is enthroned above the forces in nature, above the wage and price controls, the God who is exalted above the Dow Jones index and the unemployment rates, above world trade and foreign capital, above a COVID-19 pandemic and economic recession. The well-being of our time does not depend on these forces in and by themselves. We depend on God who dwells above them on his throne in heaven. He reigns from his throne. He speaks and his voice resounds in the cities and forests, over seas and rivers. Before him we bow down in awe and wonder, for he has spoken and we have heard. He has given his word and that word has become flesh. He has risen from the dead, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Almighty and living God. He has said, I will be with you always in prosperity and adversity in rain and drought, in health and sickness, in war and peace. All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and that power is displayed in nature too, reminding you that I am the God of glory, the King. That means then also that we should not imagine him as the sweet and soft-hearted Jesus, but as the God of power and might, who rules above this harsh and hard reality of a world of anarchy and revolution, above violence and raging battles. And at his birth also, the angels have sung, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, for the people of his good pleasure.
Our third point, the glory seen among his people. Like the rainbow arches over the earth after the Lord's manifestation in thunder, lightning, and rain, brothers and sisters, so the concluding verse links up with the first and comes to that exaltation. Glory to God in the highest, verse 1, and peace on earth for the people of his good pleasure. For that's also the ultimate prayer of his people. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Strength and peace. That's what we need under all circumstances. Strength to go the way with the Lord. Peace to live with the Lord. We pray for strength in the struggle of daily work, strength for the body in its struggle with forces of illness, of old age, of ailments, diseases, strength for the daily struggle in landscaping, trucking, in the office, in the household, in the workshop, strength for the struggle with thorns and thistles, with job pressures and client demands, with competition and complexities, strength especially to serve the Lord in all these struggles, strength to fight and overcome the powers of evil, the temptations to sin, strength to proceed in the faith, in the fear of the Lord. Therefore, we need peace too, my brother and sister. For what would it benefit us if we would gain the whole world but suffer loss of our soul? What would it benefit us if we had a booming business or a well-paying job, yet God's blessing was not upon it? What would the favor of people give us if the Lord would not lift up his face upon us and give us peace? Peace we need. Shalom, Yahweh, which has such rich connotations for shalom, that is, general well-being, happiness, harmony, rest, as in the days of Solomon when everyone from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south lived in peace and tranquility under his own victory and in his own vineyard. 1 Kings 4 verse 25. And all that in a relationship with the Lord which is good. This strength, this peace, only the Lord can give. The living God, the King of glory. See, beloved, that's approaching the new season in faith. That's setting our priorities straight. We pray today for a life with the Lord. We pray for our peace in God, our peace of faith in the forgiveness of our sins. We ask for strength and peace in a service to the honor of God's name, for the furtherance of his kingdom, for the doing of his will, because God has become in Jesus Christ our God and our Father. 
Then we approach the new season in a way of awe for the God of Psalm 29 and in the way of peace in Jesus Christ. That approach is the antithesis to the way the world goes to work every day. They worry. They are anxious about social, social security, pensions, prosperity. They are the heathen who seek their happiness in food, clothing, and shelter, in the amount of the paycheck and in the size of the crop. For they worship the gods of economy and technology, of science and government control, the gods of capital, trade, and commerce. But we, who know the God of Jesus Christ, and who hear the voice of the Lord of the covenant in the thunder, we are reminded on whom we depend for our daily needs. Sure, we have concerns. We have our worries, and anxiety may fill the heart sometimes. But when we hear the voice of the Lord and see the power of the Lord, we fold our hands in prayer and praising God, we lift up our eyes to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a gracious God, a powerful Father, a God who is able to help, a Father who is willing to provide. We don't need the gods of this time. For we have God, the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And he so loves his Son that he will also give us all things with him. To him we pray, bringing before him the needs of the world, needs for body and soul, needs in this season of harvest and labor, from him we expect everything, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.